We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slipstream This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRenkid.com. It is the number one golf betting and fantasy-focused database on the internet. want to give a big shout-out to the website for having DP World Tour data. Uh, Seriously, I cannot emphasize this enough. Being able to look through and actually create a model with DP World Tour data is so much more accurate than if you're creating models pretending that stuff doesn't exist. It helped me be able to look at what my guy Marcel Seam was doing. Shout out Big Dick Win at the Hero Indian Open. Matthew Southgate, Matthew Jordan, Jordan Smith. All those guys made the cut for me this week. And I don't think I'd be on a single one of them if I wasn't able to use the data tools at rickrungood.com for my model. Not to mention all of my premium articles, Slack chat, and so much more. So head on over to rickrungood.com, promo code Andy. That is the important part if you want to help me out. And we would love to have you as part of the team. All right, coming up on this podcast, Joseph Lamagna of Optimal Approach Golf, Finding the Edge newsletter. He does some wonderful work for the Fried Egg. Frequent guest on this podcast as well. He is uh, He's my guy for a lot of topics, but he is back for an in-depth discussion on the 151st Open Championship at Hoylake. We discuss our thoughts on the golf course, Brian Harmon, of course, uh, another majorless year for Rory, Scotty Scheffler, uh, and so much more. Uh, and finally, in the second half of the episode, we do a little bit of a Ryder Cup check-in, uh, talk about this Justin Thomas situation, speculate on the Euro team, uh, and so much more. This is a Absolutely jam-packed one. So without further ado, let's bring on Joseph. All right. Joseph Lamagna is here, Finding the Edge Substack, Optimal Approach Golf. He does a lot of great work for the Fried Egg, frequent guest on this podcast as well. You texted me earlier that this one's lacking a bit of juice, but that you're still going to remember this open championship for a lot of reasons. So let's zoom out, 40,000-foot view. What's the big takeaway for you from the uh, 151st Open Championship at Hoylake? One by, we should say, Brian Harmon. Yeah, I feel like this was one where I learned a lot and I enjoyed watching it, but I didn't... I think the entire golf world was just hoping that it would become compelling by the final nine. 
So I don't know that like it lacked any tournament where a golfer's up by five generally lacks juice. I think Brian Harmon doesn't have the personality or the accolades to get a lot of golf fans on board. Like if Rory's up five, I'm sure it feels like it has some juice, but this one felt a little juiceless. Nonetheless, I think there's a ton to talk about between the course players who perform well and who didn't Ryder cup implications, which you've teased that I think we're going to get to a little bit here at the end. I think there was a lot to chew on, especially if you're into architecture, because there's a lot on Hoy Lake. Yeah. And and on some golfers who didn't quite step up that I thought would on some who played really well that I didn't necessarily think they would. There's a lot here. Okay. So do you want to start with Harmon or do you want to start with the golf course? I don't care. What, what do you want to start with? Let's start with the golf course. So there was, you can't go a major championship without some form of controversy over I think what many people think is architecture and often is set up this time, it was a little bit of both, but I guess big picture, how did you like Hoy Lake as a test for, for, for major championship golf for professionals? Yeah. Where, where I landed, I was super excited coming in to see how it played because the 2014 one's not fresh for me. I mean, I, I don't know how many people remember watching a ton of shots there. I really liked, I knew that the bunkers were going to be penal, which was exciting. And the internal OB, I was all in on. So Me too. hole three and 18, like those were ones that I was going to be excited for, for different reasons. Three was pretty interesting off the tee. 18 was cool the whole way, but I was looking forward to that. I think the controversy there, I don't know how much there was really. Like, I don't know who was actually upset and what percentage of people that represents, but mm-hmm. I thought that was awesome. What where I landed on Hoylake is that I think it is a little redundant. And I think a lot of the holes kind of blend together. Something I've heard people say, especially who are super familiar with that golf course, is that the more you play it, the more you come to appreciate it. And I'm sure that if I saw this tournament a hundred times at this course, I'd pick up on small things each time and learn the course more and more. From watching it, I watched all of this tournament, uh, had prepared for it pretty closely. I think it's a little it was a little redundant and some of the holes blended together. So I have kind of mixed feelings. I I'll be excited the next time it goes there. I think it plays well, especially in the right conditions. I think off the tee it's really interesting. The greens are pretty boring and like I've mentioned, I think some of the holes ran together a little bit. So a couple of really great holes that were fun and some that I think just blended together. I mean, two I think two six through nine 12, 16, 15, 16, all kind of like the same type, sort of bland golfful. What'd you think? Well, I'll start with the internal OB because I, I was totally with you on that one. You know, what was interesting is I, I, I'll be honest. I did think that it really felt to me like 18 was the, the only hole and pretty much only on Thursday and Friday, really where the internal OB became part of the story. I ex- I thought that it would be more part of the story on three, for example, and it it wasn't as much as I thought, but you know, as it pertains to internal OB, and, and I, I've had the benefit of spending a week and a half in Ireland last year, so I, I, I wouldn't have even known this or, or felt educated enough to talk about this if I hadn't spent those 10 days in Ireland in September, maybe I would have the same take as some other people that were more opposed to it. But this internal OB thing, like 
it's re- it's nothing new. I mean, Carnoustie, the roll hole at St. Andrews, like which many consider to be the greatest, one of the greatest holes ever made, not to mention all of the classical links courses in the area that don't host championships. I mean, this this kind of stuff is all over Ireland in Bally Bunyan and some of the greatest golf courses in the world. You know, the identity of this tournament, and I did a whole podcast on what the identity of the U.S. Open should be, because I think the U.S. Open doesn't know what it should be right now. The identity of the Open Championship is this. like It is quirk, it is conditions, it is internal OB, and it's so difficult. And it, again, another thing, like it's not like the lines were just arbitrarily drawn there for the tournament. They encompass a berm and practice area and have been there for 100 years. And you even ask Ricky, who hit two shots out of bounds on 18 he was like yeah i knew it was there i shouldn't have hit it there i played practice rounds it's been there for 100 years it was there in 2014 it was there in 1894 so i was all in on it too and i think it is you've definitely made this point on twitter before i've made this point a million times too it has become so difficult to challenge golfers at the highest level right now and so even if it's a little bit awkward even if you feel like there should be a house there or a big lake there, stroke and distance really fucking scares the guys. That's a big penalty. Um, it scares the guys more than water hazards. It scares the guys more than thick rough. And to be able to see a hole in 18 where the delta between birdie and double bogey was so slim, something that we're not used to seeing this week on the PGA Tour, I thought was absolutely delightful. Look, we're on a podcast that does a lot of gambling content, so I'm pretty sure the people who listen to this can understand like uncapped downside or uncapped <laughs> upside. And and when you have OB, it's uncapped, right? You could stand there all day and hit multiple shots out of bounds. That's scary. Getting up there, if it's water, you hit the ball, okay, it goes in the water, figure out where it crossed, drop one, might have a decent look at par. Like that's that's fine, but it's not it's not scary. And I think what we should always keep in mind is when we get feedback from professional golfers, professional golfers always like things that go well for them, right? Or things that set up well for them, (laughs) right? And so when generally when something makes them uncomfortable, that is a good thing. Like there are examples where it's bad, but that when they come out and say that something makes them uncomfortable, it's generally a sign that it's an intriguing test. I'm not advocating for putting out of bounds in the middle of the fairway. That would also make them uncomfortable and that would be bad. But this was reasonable. And, you know, it's just a lot of great golfers have designed some really bad golf courses. And I don't think we should always take their word as gospel. But I was was all in on it. And I honestly don't know how many people weren't. It's just you're always going to get that outcry. It was the same people that were uh, were completely out on with after eighteen at LACC. They uh, they weren't a huge fan of the internal OB either. But I, you know, I will say this about the golf course. To go back to your earlier point about the holes blending together, I did feel a lot of that, and and I will say that on Thursday and Friday, I that was pretty much everything that I want in an Open Championship. The course played about two and a half strokes over par each day. It felt like 17 and 18, and they didn't pop in the same way on Saturday and Sunday, even though Sunday was tough. 
They didn't pop in the same way that they did on Thursday and Friday. I thought watching 17 and 18 in particular, and I probably like 16 a little bit more than you did, but I thought that watching 17 and 18 on Thursday and Friday was pretty exhilarating. And, and, and one of the better major championship finishes that I have seen in a really long time. And I was so interested and curious about 17 because there was so much coverage of the 17th hole. And I actually thought I allowed myself to get super psyched about 15 at LACC. And I actually thought that hole really underwhelmed. Like I really like, I underestimated how difficult that hole would be for pros. And I thought that 17 and 18, 17 really, really packed a punch on, on Thursday and Friday. I thought that links golf, most links golf courses are going to struggle without conditions, without wind and without firm and fast conditions, which is what we got on Saturday. And then on Sunday, I'm just not a huge fan of watching golf in the rain. I think it can be compelling sometimes in terms of like the mental battle of these guys battling the course versus their mind and the elements. But I still like nothing more than the feeling of watching the ball hit the ground and roll. And that feeling of uncertainty when the ball hits the ground and not knowing if it's going to roll into a bunker or what's going to happen. To me, that's what defines Lynx golf and open championship golf. So Saturday and Sunday, the conditions made the course fall flat for me. But I think the way that it played on Thursday and Friday, I was I was pretty amped up watching Thursday and Friday on this golf course. There's so much to, there's just so much to go off of there. 17 could be its own podcast. mini podcast <laughs> because there's a diversity of views on 17. I didn't even want to tweet anything about it because I don't think anything short form does it justice. Um <laughs> To give people somewhat of a synopsis there, it's it's a recent hole designed by Martin Ebert. Ebert, and yeah. Part of the controversy there is that the hole looks a lot different than a lot of holes on the course. Doesn't necessarily feel like part of of Royal Liverpool. Undid some of the work of the original architect. Maybe a little bit contrived. One thing I will say on that and. I think it was missing from the conversation. It, it also, that renovation added like 50 yards to the 18th hole. And mm-hmm. I think that's good. <laughs> as much as lengthening, of course, is, is it's again, its own big subject. Like we have gotten to a point with technology. I'm, I'm very pro rollback. Me too. <laughs> but it's so like, there's just no land left to go in some of these places. And so part of the reason that 17 played how it did and that was renovated was to add length to what they played as whole 18 which i believe is normally 16 for the members so that that's part of the story there on 17 is it a great hole i don't know i don't think it was great i don't think that green is interesting i think you're basically aiming in the center of the green all four days i don't think the character of the hole changes a lot based on the pin locations i don't love 17 what i will say for it love that also love that is take. that huh I love that take. Yeah, that's something that's a great hole. But but what I will say for it is that I think major championships in particular, having holes down the stretch where there's variance is additive from an entertainment product perspective. 
And that on 17 and 18, a lot of numbers are in play. And that if somebody has a three-shot lead, it's not over. I think that's a great attribute of a major championship test. The other side of the coin, and that's why there's this stuff gets complex, is that you you might start to have courses that are aspiring to host major championships start tweaking their closing stretches to make them more exciting, mm-hmm. undoing some of the work of the original architect, changing the character of the course so that they have those qualities and that they're inspired by sawgrass like martin ebert said he was on 17 like that that can be a problem so i I don't know that i want to advocate super strongly for renovating in the name of you know creating variance at the end of the tournament but i think i think some uncertainty and some variance at the end of the tournament is a good thing so mixed feelings i guess on 17 but Overall, I guess I kind of land somewhere in the middle of, of that whole discussion. What do you think is a better golf hole, 17 at Sawgrass or Hoy Lake? Sawgrass. Okay. Why do you say that? I, I'm a fan of 17 at Sawgrass. I think a, Sawgrass. We're both huge fans of Sawgrass just in general. I mean, I love yeah. Sawgrass too. But but the green the green at Sawgrass on 17 is much more interesting. Each of those pin locations presents a totally different shot right when that pins far right like that's a totally different shot than when it's front left and when it's in the back i think something really cool about 17 at sawgrass is that it's an interesting test in controlling your spin there's a big ridge in the middle of that green when that pin is back like you're trying to take some spin off of it right especially in the wind when the pins front you can put some spin on it and bring it back and use the ridge like the pin locations present different shots at 17 at sawgrass you didn't see a diversity of shots on 17 at Hoy Lake. I mean, they're just trying to put that ball in the middle of the green. Well, you I, I don't think see, that's super You didn't see shot. a diversity of shots, but you saw a diversity of scores. I mean, guys were making 10. And I think that's I, I why I, yeah, I think that's why I had a little bit. I you're from a like a purely architecture standpoint, I, I don't disagree. It, it, did they really even move the pin around that much? I mean, it, did, it, it, it felt like the pin was within five yards of itself every single day. So I agree in the sense that maybe it's not the most interesting green. I would maybe my pushback to that would be, and it's kind of hard to say on a par three, but the holes may be more about what's around the green than the actual green. Um, but then you get into trouble with that argument when you're talking about a 130 yard hole. I liked it in the sense that it accomplished something that I was looking for that I didn't feel like I got in 15 at LACC, in 11 at Brookline, in 15 at Oak Hill. I thought that those holes all kind of tried to do what 17 at Hoylake and 17 at Sawgrass do. And I I don't think any of them accomplished it. Um, I don't think that I was psyched. I mean, I've, I've played Oak Hill recently. I'm spending the whole weekend at Oak Hill. 15 for amateurs is a trap. I mean, that's a, that's a really tough hole for amateurs and just didn't do it for the pros and 15 at LACC had the same result. And I was at least satisfied that I saw tens on 17. I don't disagree with you. It is a little difficult for me to square that hole, like aesthetically with the rest of the course. It doesn't look like it belongs on the course. And I I do penalize it in my head for that. Like it, it just doesn't fit. If, if if you played that course and you said, hey, which is the hole out here that was built recently, you'd know. And yeah. and I think there's something a little bit funky about that. Yeah, it created 
some scoring variants. I think it was fine. It just wasn't like my favorite. If I had to list favorite short threes in the world, it wouldn't make the list. But it's way better than a really boring par three there for sure. Like I, I wasn't upset with it. I thought it was cool. I want to also talk about like a little bit more big picture on the golf course before we start talking about Harmon and you know some of the other guys. But one of the reasons I want I want you to respond to this because I was I was thinking about this this afternoon as it pertains to the Open Championship. I think one of the reasons why, and I didn't love every aspect of this Open Championship. Like I said, I I really enjoyed Thursday and Friday and and was not as much of a fan of Saturday and Sunday. And that's not because Brian Harmon went away with Ryan away with the tournament. I just didn't think the golf shots that that players were hitting were that interesting on Saturday and Sunday, at least compared to Thursday and Friday. But I think the reason why I do probably still put this as my favorite major every year in terms of the one that I look forward to is because it still feels like the only major to me where distance hasn't completely taken over all parts of the equation. I mean, let me read you the last seven open champions. Brian Harmon, Cameron Smith, Colin Morikawa, Shane Lowry, Francesco Molinari, Jordan Spieth, Henrik Stenson, Zach Johnson. Would you categorize any of those guys as a long hitter? No, I mean, you start to get into a little bit like, well, what if Cameron Young or Rory had won last year? Like, you, you can play that game a little bit, but yes, totally. you are right. Totally. You're right. Totally. You're right. And, and you know, compare that to the PGA and the US Open. Right. And it's a lot Absolutely. of Rom, Woodland, Kapka, JT is longer than all those guys at the Open, DJ. And of course, the winner does not even remotely tell the story of this golf tournament. Like, Cameron Young destroyed this golf course. I mean, if we want to if we, if we want to talk about the guy that, from a pure ball striking perspective, probably should have won this tournament and played the best, usually the answer to that question is Scotty Scheffler or Rory McIlroy. It was Cameron Young this week. Like Cam- Cameron Young absolutely murdered this golf course. But only guy in the top ten who lost strokes putting. I know, and he lost like five of them too. Yeah, yeah, he did. But I feel like, do you still feel that the Open Championship has that element of? it's more wide open to players that don't have that very specific skill set that we see when US opens in PGA championships or do you even feel like with the open we're starting to veer into that territory as well it feels a little bit more pure i worry about it sometimes but it still feels a little bit more pure than the others in terms of like a very specific homogenized skill set of long iron play and power off the tee yeah, there's a lot going on with the Open. It's my favorite major, so I'm, I'm with you on that. It's my favorite tournament of the year by far. It's also just another cool thing about it is when guys are all starting on number one instead of split tees. Like, it's just so much better. Better flow. Um, the wind is a huge part of this story, right? And so there's a lot going on when wind is in a tournament. Guys, so much of what we watch week in and week out is driving range golf, right? Mm-hmm. It's stock shots hit it high, carry these bunkers and land it on the green and stop. And that's not what the open championship presents when there's no wind. Like last year at St. Andrews, it turns into a little bit more of that. There's still some creativity required, especially with the slopes and like it's, it's a little bit different, but it feels more close to driving range golf than what we saw the first two days here at Royal Liverpool. I think there's some interesting stuff happening with ball flights 
at open championships that allow shorter hitters to succeed. So an example of that would be that often you're trying to keep your ball out of the wind and the farther distance you have into the hole, the lower your shot is going to be, right? So that's a simple example of where you're not <laughs> at as much of a disadvantage when you're playing in the wind like that because you're going to be coming in at a lower trajectory than if you were playing at East Lake, right? And and there's not going to be a lot of wind out there. So if you're hitting a five iron and your opponent's hitting a seven iron, you're in a lot of trouble because the test there is hitting it high and getting it to stop on the green. Here, it's, it's just a little different with these tight runoff areas and leaving it in the right spots and keeping it out of the wind. Controlling your spin is a really big thing. I think that's a big part of why Cam Young did well this week. He, he knows how to control his spin. He can hit those stingers. So it just presents a lot of different shot types. And I would think about ball flights and uh, spin and trajectories, curvature, things like that, much more at an open championship than anywhere else. Uh, where last question on the course, let's put a bow on the course and then, uh, and then we'll start talking about Brian Harmon and some of the players too, <laughs> but where, where does Hoy Lake stand for you compared to some of the, the other venues? Um, is it middle of the pack? You don't have to, we're not going to rank all of them. In fact, there's some of them that I, I like would really need to, we haven't had an open championship there since I've seriously started yeah. following and watching golf, but like middle of the pack front of the pack or kind of back of the pack for you i'm inclined to say it's probably somewhere in the middle i think yeah. what i like about it is that you'll probably get wind mm -hmm. like almost every time and the bunkers are placed at distances where it stands up to the modern game well it, it almost feels like heresy to say this but like i'd rather watch it there than at st andrews if there's no wind Yes, me too. And I believe me, I don't, that's not a slight at St. Andrews. It's one of the best golf courses in the world. And if there's a lot of wind, like I'm in. And if there were a rollback in wind, like I'm way in. But yeah. they can overpower that place when there's no wind. One of my, like, I, I stand by this. Like, I think what you'll see the next time at St. Andrews, if there's not a lot of wind, is I think you're going to see guys hit driver at the green on number one. And, mm -hmm. and they'll, and they'll say, like, you know what? Even if it goes in that hazard short of the green, like, I'm dropping and chipping for birdie instead of laying up to 100 yards. Obviously not trying to go into the water, like, trying to keep it short. But you can kind of do that at St. Andrews. Like, you can mm -hmm. pretty much rip driver all over the place and not really worry about it. You're carrying a lot of the hazards. You can't do that as much at Hoy Lake. They're just positioned in better spots, and it stands up to the modern game a little bit better than some of the other courses. Probably middle of the pack for me don't have the strongest opinion on it. And like you, I think I'll update that as we see these venues through another time. So yeah, I don't know. It, it's probably middle of the pack for me. Everyone has that one take that they know is a little absurd, but they, they kind of really genuinely believe the one that I've been banging the drum for, for a while. And God, the RNA would save so much freaking money with, you know, these McKenzie and Ebert firms. I, I legitimately don't understand why the open isn't just the one major of the year that they play with hickories. And it's kind of like the ROM. It's kind of like the ROM quote about 17, where it's like, if nothing's fair, then everything's fair. It's like, I don't understand why they don't just, th that's part of their identity anyway. These courses would play so much more fun. You wouldn't have to keep 
updating and changing and looking for new land around some of the most iconic golf courses in the world. And it's a situation where, you know, it's not like they don't have, like, it's not like Crystal Lambrecht and Brian Harmon need to be playing with the same hickories. Like, I, like they have, mul- you can have small hickories, you can have big hickories. The RNA can provide hickories for everyone. You can have a fitting truck the week of, and everyone can figure out their own hickories if they i mean it's just like i i genuinely believe that that should be the future for the open i know it sounds absurd but it's like if everyone's on the same playing field the amount of money that the rna would save and the more bankable in terms of like a consistent reliable tournament that we know is going to be fun every year where we don't have to rely as much on conditions to make it fun I think there's crazier ideas out there. I really do. I think that's an I think that's a crazy idea. I think the the craziest worst idea in golf is that we don't need a rollback. So it you don't you're not throwing out the craziest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> I think what we we badly need distance to be reeled in a little bit to make some of these yes. courses more playable. One idea I have that is a little crazy but I don't think is like the craziest thing in the world is what if you had tournaments, you could just experiment with this where you're only allowed to hit driver like twice per day and you can hit it wherever you want. Uh, it's and so it'd be fascinating. Kinda, it'd be kind of interesting to see like where golfers decided to use their driver and like, it'd be, it'd be kind of cool. I don't know if that's practical. You'd have to think about how do you enforce that? Does somebody cheat and hit it a third time? Like, I think you could actually enforce that one, but uh, maybe a little bit ridiculous. I just think it'd be cool. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, I listen, I mean, I think that we've both talked about this a bunch on this podcast and I, and on Twitter as well. I think that the open, I think it's in trouble with some courses. Um, I think it's in less trouble with others. And, you know, I think probably what we saw at St. Andrews, God, do you know when the next time we go back to St. Andrews, is it 2025 again? Gosh, it, it could be that soon. I think no, they no, do no, it no. every five five years now every time i don't years. think it's, it's i don't think it's 2025 i think it might be like 2027 150 first 150 they probably do 160th maybe i don't know anyway point being i give this one i give this one if we're pr- purely talking about the golf course i'm a fan of play like there are a lot of things i like i really enjoyed thursday and friday had a couple more issues with Saturday and Sunday, which isn't really the course's fault, but let's talk about, let's get into the Brian Harmon of it all. Real quick. I wanted to hit on your point about not liking watching golf in the rain. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you. And I do think you generally see that skill is not rewarded as much in the rain. And in my opinion, one of the flattest days of major championship golf we've had in the last five years was Saturday at uh, Southern Hills last year at the PGA. And if you look at that day, skill, like that was a pretty random day. Uh, uh, the the way the leaderboard kind of shook out on that Saturday, it's not a day that you're going to see the talent rise to the top necessarily. So I'm with you on that. How do we contextualize Brian Harmon, right? Like, I, I think we can both agree this isn't Ben Curtis. It's not Todd Hamilton. Is it Gary Woodland? Is it Zach Johnson? Like, where do you stand on Brian Harmon as this pertains to the bigger the bigger picture? Gary Gary Woodland's an interesting name. The names that I was thinking of where he he 
kind of cements his legacy is like somewhere between a Jason Duffner and a Keegan Bradley, closer to Keegan Bradley. Yeah. Brian Harmon's really good. I wish I'd seen this one coming a little bit more. I think the one thing that maybe if I had thought through a little more could have gotten me more, could have got me higher on him. I think being left-handed was probably of benefit on that steady left to right wind the entire back nine. He was not scared on the 18th tee. It, it just a lot of tee shots set up well for him and he was comfortable hitting like a baby draw with his driver. He really pieced that place apart. So uh, he's just one of those. I think the only way to really contextualize it is golf is so deep and knowing that there are golfers like that who can win every week probably makes you feel it gives you some second thoughts about laying Rory or Scheffler at like seven to one. Like that's you got a lot of dogs out there that can get hot and win. So I don't know how to contextualize it too much. I mean, Gary Woodland seems Brian Harmon's been more of a threat week in and week out over the past 10 years than Gary Woodland. I think Keegan Bradley's probably the better analogy or the better person to compare him to. But yeah, like, well, I, I would bet a lot of your listeners played DFS back in 2017. I was playing DFS in 2017. The stretch Brian Harmon went on yeah, through from like the Wells Fargo to the end of the year was nuts. It, he, he was like one of the best players in the world for like a five, six week stretch in the mm-hmm. fall and in the winter where he would be like $11,000 on DraftKings and he'd be chalk and he'd deliver. He finished in the top 10 like five times in a row. So He's he's a high quality player, and I guess when you get to open championships in general, be thinking about some of those golfers that you know their ceilings are really high, and they, they might not have popped up on leaderboard super recently, but when they get going, they can win. And I think he was one of those, obviously. Not to be, this is going to sound hyperbolic when I say this, and this this isn't me taking anything away for Harmon or saying it's a fluke win by any means. Probably, all things considered, like given the context, is probably the best putting performance of the Stroke Scanned era. Just the best pure Thursday through Sunday putting performance of the Stroke Scanned era. I mean, he gained approximately eleven point four putting. That's up there with like Michael Kim at Michael the John Kim. Deere, <laughs> yeah. Patrick Patrick Cantlay at the BMW. As like statistically, forget a major, just straight up the best putting performance ever in the strokes gained era. And I, I I don't say that to take anything away from Harmon. Like that's, that's going to happen sometimes. And he still had to hit, I mean, he still was top 30 in all other strokes gained categories, right? Like he was surgical off the tee. He looked a little shaky today. Like at it, it, both Saturday and Sunday, he bogeyed like two out of his first four holes. But man, he made five bogeys all week. Three of them were followed by birdies. Like every single time he gave an inch, it felt like he took it back so quickly. I'll hand up on this one. I was listening to some of the uh, some of the Saturday night recap content, and I didn't come out and say this on Twitter or anything, but I'll admit this now. A lot of the you know the shows were like giving it to Harmon on Saturday night. And I'll be honest, I I like wasn't there at all. I was like, I I could actually see him. I mean, he is, he's having one of the most historic putting performances of all time. And it's still Sunday at a major with John Rom, Cameron Young, and a bunch of big time players breathing down your neck. Like I'm not 
totally sold. I could I could actually really see him blowing this thing. And I actually think the people that I'm listening to right now are like kind of overselling the fact that this is a done deal. I, I obviously like seven. I just by seven, I was like, this is I changed my opinion incredibly quickly. But were you sitting there? Take me through your mind on Saturday night. Did you did you feel like this was a done deal or did you feel like there was any sense of hope that maybe he wouldn't close the door in the fashion that ended up coming to fruition on Sunday. Well, I think I was similar to you. I I thought going into the final round, it was close, close to a done deal, not done deal, but a lot had to go wrong Mm -hmm. going into Saturday. I thought Brian Harmon was going to give some back that that was the day where he finished early Friday I was really thinking about like how is he going to go to sleep tonight? Like he's got a five shot lead, thirty six holes in, twenty six hours between tee times. <laughs> right, I, that's when I thought he was going to falter, and when he started slow and then turned things around going into Sunday, I thought it was going to take something pretty special from Cam Young and for Harmon to give a couple back. Outside of that, there weren't too many outcomes that I mean, Rom could have gotten really hot. That was possible, but I, I did feel like going into Sunday. There was maybe a 30% chance he didn't win. 35. I mean, it was reasonable, but it was not a done deal. Look, if if no. people were if people thought it was a done deal, like we can run that back a hundred times and you can we'll talk about what kind of odds you want on Brian Harmon going into Sunday. Like it was not a done deal. I guess we should talk use that to transition us to talk about the guys that kind of played well but came up just short before we touch on a few like maybe big disappointments we have do you want to go cameron young rom rory maybe young tong kim we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Cam Young's the most interesting one in my opinion more than rory i mean what is there to say about rory uh, we've seen i we've seen it now a lot and it's just he just hasn't stepped up and hit the shots he really hasn't and i i, I don't think we should expect him to I, I would love to see rory mcelroy win he's close he'll put himself in the mix i think he played very well at lacc but man like i just I want to see him hit some iron shots to three feet. And like that, that ne- it feels like that never happens. Brian Harmon like, is struggling and then steps up on the ninth hole and sticks it two days in a row. And it's like, where are those shots from Rory? 
And he but, did it. He kind he did 13 feet on nine and missed the putt. Right? On nine. Yeah. He, he, Rory? He, yeah. Rory had a 13 footer for he had a great tee shot on nine. He's I mean, that was pouring rain at that point. 225 yeah. yard yeah. par three. One of the best tee shots of the day on that hole. Misses the 13 footer. But you know what the most frustrating thing about and I never I am like a religious Rory apologist. I I he was not one of the guys that I thought had a shot today whatsoever going into the day hand up like i I actually really thought hovland was going to make a charge today and maybe we can talk about that too but the the most frustrating thing for me about rory sunday is he ranked fourth in the entire field in sunday in putting which is you know the sunday putting performance at a major that we've been waiting for for rory for years and he actually had for him a below average ball striking round for him. He ranked 15th in ball striking on Sunday, which is still great. Um, but Rory finally had that Sunday round where he gained two and a half strokes with this putter. And I don't think it, end, it even if he finished first in the field, I actually don't think it would have ended up ma- if first in the field in ball striking. It probably wouldn't have mattered. But I, the one thing I'll say about Rory, because I tweeted this and I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot lately is like, you know, he played better today than Rom, Hovland, Scheffler, Brooks, Spieth. Like I could go on. He still takes the most heat and he should because he's a generational player. So the standards should be higher for him. And I have to give credit to my friend Kyle for originating this take, but I just think it's time to have a conversation about Spieth because I mean, you think about their career trajectories, like you start lining it up, like, Rory won four before 25, nothing since. Spieth wins three before 24, nothing since. The only difference is Spieth's got five top tens in majors since his last win, since Spieth's last win in 2016. Rory is 16 of them. And I was going back and looking at the comments of the tweet that I just put out. And it seems like people remember Spieth as like this kind of guy that caught a hot putter, whereas everyone's saying Rory should take more flack because the expectation should be higher because he's a bigger talent, which I agree with. It was like, I think people forget like how enamored the golf world was with Jordan Spieth's God-given ability in 2014. Like this guy won those majors not because he was a great putter. He was the best iron player in the world. And he probably had the best short game in the world as well. And so my only point is like these guys have such a similar career trajectory where they break all these records before 25 and then nothing since. The only difference is Rory doesn't leave the top 10 for 15 years where Spieth, you know, goes for this goes from this wonder kid to barely sniffing it. That was my only thing. It's just like another major where it's like Rory so close gets all the flack just have me thinking about Spieth. What would what would be your response to that? I think the flack is a compliment, right? Because we all know how good Rory is and that it feels mm-hmm. like he should be winning all of them. I think some of this is aesthetic and not just aesthetic, like Rory looks and is more talented than probably any other player on tour. Like he, he hits the ball well past all of the other guys that he's dealing with. When you watch him a lot of weeks, it's like, this is the best golfer in the world. And I think what I'm a little tired of is like some of these difficult but somewhat straightforward shots that like Rory just leaves a chip 
18 feet short and then like kind of looks at his caddy harry like oh like the grass was in a little weird spot it's like mm-hmm. I, i've other guys when they're locked in are hitting that to four feet and that is what's frustrating because i know rory can do it and he's so talented so i don't disagree with you on why doesn't speed catch more flack but honestly andy at this point like who who doesn't catch flack like who are the people who are actually doing it it's like Kepka and Rom kind of step up in these majors and almost no one else does. Yeah. Hovland Hovland yeah. does, but he just hasn't won yet. But like overall, anyone can catch flack. Do you think Rom deserves any criticism for how he played today? Because I think that if you're going into Sunday, the conventional wisdom is if it's I mean, I I really expected more of Hovland, but Rom was Rom was at six. And is a better player than Hovland still. And Rom's not, no one's going to talk about Rom in this major going forward. If anything, you would say the major, the disappointments from this major, you'll think of Rory maybe with another close call, and you'll probably think of Fleetwood. I'll think of Fleetwood. I'm not sure that I'll think of Rory because I don't think he really choked anything away here. He wasn't really in the, really in the mix and this is a golf course that is hard to kind of go get it like they're mm-hmm. you're constantly worrying about extremely penal bunkers rory's generally launching them pretty high up into the wind like this you, he couldn't just sit back and rip driver i don't know i don't i don't give him as much heat as i would at st andrews last year where I, did, I think he had obviously much more of an opportunity and just didn't, wasn't as sharp. I'd look pretty good at LACC this year. Wouldn't yeah. give him a ton of flack there. Honestly, this year, I'm, I would give him less flack than years in the past. I don't think Roy deserves a ton of flack. If anybody, Fleetwood's the one that I, I really thought Fleetwood was going to be in this one till the end. And he was not good. Did, last, just to put a bow on Rory, because we talk about this all the time with Rory. Did you, pay attention to strategy a lot with him this week because i was really curious about like some of the things some of the decisions that he was going to make off the tee and i felt okay about it i think it was it felt a little bit more especially like on saturday and sunday with the putter again and stuff but how did you feel about his general mindset entering this major as it regards to shot selection because that's always a topic i like to hit on with you yeah, and I would like to go through it a little bit more in detail. Aggregated data is always tough because mm-hmm. a lot of bad insights come from aggregated data, especially when it's windy, because you're not even hitting the same shot as the golfer that was there on the tee an hour before you. So I think we can sometimes it can get a little lost, like, oh, well, 80% of the field hit driver here and Rory laid back and he lost strokes to the field on the whole. Like sometimes you get a weird wind or something and it, it is legitimately different at an open championship. That said, this, if I had been playing in the 2023 open championship, I think my strategy would have changed from what I thought leading up to the tournament versus how it ended up playing. The fescue is more playable than I expected it to play. Mm-hmm. And I think a, a more aggressive strategy like should have shifted, especially kind of on Saturday when conditions were calm, like I'd have been hitting a lot of driver. And so I, I would be interested in exactly the decisions that 
Rory made. I mean, I'm not hitting driver on three. Like, there's some holes out there. I, I don't fault Rory. I think he definitely let, hit less than driver a couple of the days on 18. I'm not sure if he ever hit driver. I don't fault him for that with that out of bounds lurking on the right and potentially flaring a cut out there into the OB. Like, I, I don't fault him for that one. But I think he probably could have gotten a little more aggressive with driver off of the tee. Even holes like four where Bryson drove the green. Like, there were a couple opportunities to let it rip out there, and I probably would have done a little more of that as Rory, but I need to go through it a little more in detail before I can really say that. I want to get to Ryder Cup soon. Do you have anything on Cam Young or Rom before I want to do one thing on Scheffler? Not a lot besides Cam Young's a killer. I've put out on Twitter, and I believe it. I believe Cam Young's a top five player in the world. I fully believe he's a top five player in the world. Saturday was a clinic. And yeah. if people weren't watching his round closely, I mean, he stuffed one on 11 and missed like a four footer for birdie. He hit the pin on 16, got screwed. Like mm-hmm. one bounce could have gone in, like hit the flag stick and rolled back to 35 feet and still shot. I don't know, four, five under on that back nine. The question I almost wanted to put out there is like, if who do you think wins the next, who wins a major next Cam Young or Colin Morikawa? Cam Young. Well, I think Cam Young's going to win in Minnesota next week, too. <laughs> well, that's not a major. <laughs> Certainly is not. Can't. Well, okay, let's do this realistically. The next one is the Masters, and then you have Valhalla, Pinehurst, and Troon. Valhalla sets up really well for, for Cameron Young, if it's anything like the golf course that it was in 2014. Pinehurst could, too. It's Cam Young for me. And at the Masters, I, I like Morikawa at the Masters. Morikawa has been starting to play better at the Masters. So is Cam Young. But Cam Young's my answer. I think most people I, would say Cam Young. I think most people would. And if you waited five months and then put that poll out, I think the results would be maybe a little different. But I have a lot of respect for Colin Morikawa's game. Mm-hmm. I, I'm taking Cam Young. Like I, I think Cam Young is genuinely a top five player in the world. Are you taking him over Hovland? Yeah. Is your top five then right now? Is it you're gonna get me in trouble? I'm Go not ahead. giving I'm not giving or I'm not saying order, but is it <laughs> Rory, Rom, Scheffler, Brooks, Cam Young? Yeah, I mean that that fifth spot gets a little like Brooks is is just so hard to handle. Yeah, but, but I think you, I just feel like you gotta. I mean, I uh, me too. Believe me, I think Brooks is we didn't really hit on him, but I thought I thought Brooks was frankly like the best bet in the field before the tournament started so um i'm high on brooks but yeah i, I think cam young's right there can i read you this uh this Sheffler tweet from our friend kyle porter Sheffler at the majors this year masters second t to green 50th putting pga first t to green 34th putting us open third t to green 37th putting open championship third t to green 74th putting how do we place in context this this Scheffler season? How will we remember it? Because maybe he wins the FedEx Cup. What is the FedEx Cup? Does that exist in four months from now? But I mean, that I, I, I thought heading into this major that this would be a really, really fitting way to cap a pretty historic run and uh, didn't end up playing out that way. Well, I'll remember the Scheffler season because in our major draft, I had him and I, I thought it was a great pick and didn't do anything for me. So uh, uh, the only thing I guess with Scheffler this week was I thought some of the guys who just hit 
who really stick to that cut and couldn't. It's not that Scheffler can't shape it. He doesn't shape it a lot. He hits it pretty straight. But I was a little worried about the left to right prevailing wind the entire back nine. I was like, how is Victor Hovland going to deal with that? Like, how is Wyndham Clark? How is Scheffler going to handle that? They all handled it fine. So it probably wasn't a huge deal. It's hard to put this Scheffler season into context other than I think it's the most impressive season that I can remember. I mean, going back to early Tiger, mm-hmm. what's more impressive than what Scotty Scheffler's not finishing outside the top 12 in today's game in however many straight tournaments. I, I think that's the most impressive season that, that I've seen at least in the last 15 years, but well, it goes into the show for it. Yeah. It goes into overall consistency versus wins. Like, is a season where Brooks wins two majors, but doesn't really do much more in any of the other events. Is that more impressive than what Scheffler did? That's I'm finally saying yes. I'm finally saying yes, it is more like majors now for me are just everything. And I think this year has really solidified that, but yeah, I don't want to be two wins driven because that, that can lead to some bad outcomes there. But I think for predicting things, I think we're often too, like wins driven, but for reflecting on a body of work, like at some point winning has to matter. Well, that's what I was going to say. I feel like Rom still has to be player of the year. Rom won a major, the biggest tournament of the year and four other times. It's a really weird one. It's a weird one. And Scheffler has been better overall body of work than Rom this season, but Rom won Kapalua Amex Riviera, which is maybe the sixth biggest tournament of the year, and the Masters, which is probably the first biggest tournament of the year, and Scheffler won Phoenix and Players. I think I would go with, I think I would go with Rom because for an Me award too. like that, I think it, it's probably good to get in the mindset of rewarding winning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do let's do a Ryder Cup talk. So. I have I actually have no idea where you land on this one. I'm kind of fascinated because I, I could see you being on either side of this one personally. But it's just a Thomas on your Ryder Cup team. Look, I, I think it's hard to make a good faith argument for Justin Thomas right now. I agree. And I, agree. <laughs> I believe not only well, I'll caveat all this with I don't think we should be making like the the boldest proclamations when it's not, when the time is not up yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I think it would be dangerous to, to lock in too much to certain guys being on the team. Like I think Brian Harmon should be on the team, but even him, I wouldn't guarantee the spot right now. Like let things play out for a few more weeks. If Justin Thomas has a couple really strong weeks, we'll have a different conversation. But right now my life depended on putting together the best possible team in Rome. I, not only do I think it's hard to make a good argument for him, but I think picking him kind of betrays what this what this new era was supposed to be about. That was a big point I was going to make. I agree. I don't like the way friendship can be rewarded in golf and yeah. whether that's getting a captaincy and whether it's becoming a member at a private club. Like there's it is such a pervasive thing like it's who you know which is fine that's just the way the world works but mm-hmm. in this case when you're picking somebody on merit like i got a little uncomfortable reading uh that justin thomas and zach johnson were rooming together this week like i didn't even know that yeah like that is a little hairy for me 
And yeah. I'm sure that there are ways you can do that without compromising your integrity and, and making those picks, but it's really hard to look at what Justin Thomas has done recently and make a good faith argument that he should be on the team. Also, the points argument. Points, the the point system is not good. And, and the way Justin Thomas is up there in points is from his PGA win. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be putting a lot of stock in points besides the top six who qualify. I don't like the argument, oh, well, this guy's eighth in points. It's hard to keep him off. I don't care about that. After the top six who have auto-qualified, we're going with the six that give us the best chance to win in Rome, period. I agree with you. I think that it sends... I think it sends a really poor message in terms of what this event should be about to American golfers. Uh, and and what can happen to you if you play really good golf versus really bad golf? I mean, how many times in the past has the U.S. team gone with pedigree over data? And how many times did that backfire in their face? I think if you pick, I think you've picked Justin Thomas over someone like, well, I guess we'll say Brian Harmon. I think you're basically sending the message of, hey, this is a club. You can shoot 80 multiple times in majors and we got you. But if you play your ass off this year, you still might lose out on a spot to somebody who's in that club. And I don't think that should be the message that you send to American players. I mean, look at Look at what Ricky Fowler did this year. Ricky Fowler's the type of guy. Fowler's a if, lock. Yeah, Fowler's a lock, and he should be. Fowl, but but Fowler's the type of guy that if he did 50% of what he did this year, he would still be discussed and maybe even picked for the team. And you know what Ricky did? He went out and earned his spot. Ricky was a top 10 guy in the world this year, out of the abyss, which should give hope to Justin Thomas for fucking next year. But this idea that you can play this poorly and still make it over guys that have some have done some really phenomenal things on a golf course this year is so asinine to me. And look, I'm not even saying like I'm not asking a ton out of JT. Like I, I think this conversation is different if he finishes T27. Seriously, I do. And I'd be like, okay, showing signs of life. I'm I'm basically asking you to not break 80, man. But now I think I think the window is is narrower. I don't I think it is a total but use the word betrayal, which is a good one. I mean, if he doesn't qualify for the FedEx Cup playoffs and he's on the team, that is that is truly absurd to me. But you know, if he goes out and wins the 3M open, like if he goes out and wins that event as a guy who committed to this random course in Minnesota that he's never seen before on Friday night of open championship week. If he goes out and like top fives there and top fives at Sedgefield, again, we're having a very different conversation, but I'm with you on the Thomas point right now. And important to call out, like you're saying, if he finishes T27, it's a different conversation. Justin Thomas was almost dead last Mm -hmm. at the U S open at the U S open. Yeah. And, and now at, at the open, and this is not like if it's using the word betrayal and stuff, all that, it's not Justin Thomas's fault. This would be representative of the captains and some of the team room at, at Team USA if, if they do pick him and what they are signaling. So I don't fault Justin Thomas. I respect that he's grinding it out and that he's going to the 3M. Like if he didn't go to the 3M and because he was comfortable, he was still going to get picked. Like that's crazy. So 
I I don't I feel strongly that he should not be picked at the present moment, but I don't feel so strongly about some of the names at 11 and 12 that if JT plays well in the next couple of weeks, he shouldn't get the spot. Like if JT plays really well through the BMW, then we're having a different conversation. Okay, so let's let's do our US teams. I'll give you the guys that are qualified right now based on points. I don't think this has been updated since the open though. But No, it hasn't. So Scheffler one, Wyndham Clark two, Brooks three, Xander four, Cantlay five, Homa six. If Harmon happened to, I'm not an expert on how the points play out, how that uh, it should is be qualified, but is Harmon going to bump any of those guys out? I don't have the standings up ahead of me, but I know off the top of my head, it's, yeah, I believe it's two points per thousand dollars that you earn at the majors. So God, that's you could, so strange that that's it's all criteria. based on money. Well, this that's, is all based on money. And so that's the thing to keep in mind is like Keegan Bradley is getting a lot of points for winning the travelers. Yeah. And it, it is, this is a money calculated point system. And so that is where I'm saying like, we shouldn't put a lot of stock in the point system outside of who, who auto qualifies going off money is not the best way to do this. So of those six that are currently qualified, are you good on all six of them? Like, do you have all six on your team? Homa, there's been a little, maybe no Homa chatter. I'm good with Homa. I, I, I'm, I think Homa is one of the 12 best Americans right now. Or do you disagree? I, the way that I think about this and like, I would not be doing anything definitive right now. He wouldn't be in my, lo- I have six people that I've designated as locks. Okay. Who are, outside of who are that, your locks? So my locks would be Scheffler, Cantlay, Shoffley, Fowler, Wyndham Clark, and Brooks Kepka. I believe those are the six that they're no doubters. And there are a couple other names that I feel very strongly like I would want on my team. Colin Morikawa is one of those. But I just wouldn't I wouldn't say anything until we're at the BMW and you've seen who auto qualifies. Like I'm not even handing Brian Harmon the spot yet. I'm not handing Max Homa a spot yet. Like he now is kind of interesting to me. Like I want to see what he does. I just wouldn't make any rigid decisions right now. I think that if I'm giving you my 12 right now, subject to change, I agree with all six of your locks. My other six would be Homa, Morikawa, Finau, which I think is probably becoming more and more controversial by the week that he doesn't yeah. play well. Finau is still on for me. Jordan Spieth, Cameron Young, Brian Harmon. The last two men out for me, the last three men out are Keegan, Sam Burns, and Justin Thomas. I did this a week ago, and I think Wait, that did you Cameron, get Homa in there? I did, yeah. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Chef, yeah, yeah. I, I see it. I see it. Yeah, I see it. so I did this a week ago prior to the Open, and I think that Cameron Young took Justin Thomas's spot this week and Brian Harmon took Keegan's spot this week. So that is my 12 right now. Keegan, Sam Burns, and JT on the outside looking in. Harmon in, Young in, Spieth in, Finau in, Morikawa, Homa Fowler, Cantlay, Shopley, Kepka, Clark, Sheffield. Look, we're, we're thinking about it very similarly. So uh, I don't have a ton to add. I, I want to be somewhat careful of like, <laughs> uh, exactly who I would advocate for, but uh, that that we are thinking about it in a very similar way. Horse fit wise, 
Is there anyone that you think we should consider more or less based on specific course vet? Whole other podcast, of, but just big picture. Yeah, well, I think the part that remains unknown, like what are they going to do to the course to, to make it play differently than we've seen it on the DP World Tour in the last couple of years? Mm-hmm. I, I think they're smart enough to know some of the things that they should do. And I believe what they'll do is make it as much of an accuracy test as possible. And that's what they should do. So I would keep that in mind when when making the picks. Is the European team really more accurate than the US team though? I think when when you give a wide if you, if you make it as wide as possible that also allows talent to elevate in some interesting ways and I wouldn't do that. So that's part of where I'm coming from on that is I would make it not only somewhat narrow but I would have graduated rough so missing wide is much different than missing by a little bit and some of that introduces some variance that I would do as the underdog. Yeah. Um, but what if you're the European team and suddenly your 9, 10, 11, 12 is Moronk, Aberg, Straka, and Hoshgard? I don't know that you're going to pick those guys, but Rom, Hovland, Hatton, Fitzpatrick, Fleetwood, Lowry. Rose. That, that is a more Rose. That is a more accurate. And you can have Rory. Like hits if he needs to hit some less than driver, he can do that. That is a much more accurate top of your team than Scheffler, Wyndham, Clark. I mean, Cantley and Shoffley are accurate. Fowler's accurate. Morikawa would be accurate. Obviously. Like, but, but it's still it's still the way I would go with this. I don't think you're gonna have a lot of success on the US team turning this into uh, like having a wide having it wide and having the rough short and playable like that's what i would be doing i'd make it an accuracy test introduce some variance as the underdog and roll my accurate hitters out there as much as possible so who would be your locks for euro my locks i mean i'm pretty sh- i need to see the updated standings standings i think bobby mcintyre may be in a pretty good spot right now but that may be subject- i think he took yannick paul's he did yeah. Uh, interesting note on the European points list and how that works. Are you familiar with how that point system works? How it's the, the world and, and the Europe. It's... So there's like three spots from the world, three spots right. from the Europe, but the order matters there. And they take the three from the Europe first, and then they take the three from the world, otherwise not qualified. So it basically, it makes it as many on the world side as possible because they want the stronger players which is just interesting like yeah it's it's a smart way to do it but good chance you don't end up with any dp world tour players like you might just end up with a bunch of pga tour players which is right uh kind of how the the world of golf works hovland hatton fitzpatrick fleetwood straka lowry rose mcelroy rom and bobby mcintyre and that's Bobby Mac, one, two, Bobby Max, well, you're doing it based. Well, on I'm just points, saying, I'm, I'm giving him the points. I'm giving him the point spot. He may not, he may not end there. And no, he wouldn't be a lock for me if, if he didn't. But let's, okay, let's take him out. Then how many names did I list? One, two. Yeah, I listed nine then that aren't him. And I'd pay a lot of attention to what happens over the next couple of weeks. Did you say Straka as a lock? Yeah. Okay. So that leaves, and you said Lowry, right? Yeah, I, w- I would have Shane Lowry on my team. Me too. So that leaves, I'm with you on all nine of those guys. 
So that leaves us with three spots. I'll give you mine first as it stands right now. Bobby Mack. I'm taking Moronk, Bobby Mack, and Ludwig. But I just want to monitor the the Nikolai situation. I I I think that, I mean Ludwig and Nikolai are both heading over to Minnesota and are about to play a wonky golf course where water comes into play on 15 holes. This is not me comparing it to Marco Simone, but I'm very curious who plays better down the stretch between Ludwig and Nikolai. Nikolai was really good at the open. Are you not um, even Seamus Power? Are you not even considering Seamus Power? I'm not. I'm not. Are you? Should I be? I, I have a lot of respect for Seamus Power's game. He hasn't been great recently, but he's gone through some really good stretches, so I'd at least keep him in consideration over the next couple of weeks. Aberg, I mean, I, he's going to be a beast. I don't know what he'll look like. Right now, I'd probably take him, but it'll be it'll be interesting. I, I would I consider actually, Seamus Power. I'd prefer Alex Noren to Seamus Power, who also had... Alex Noren's... I have Alex Noren listed, too, as a, a bubble. I, I keep... I kept a, a reasonably long list of bubble players just because I don't think this far out should get too anchored into a team. Norton so sprays it though. So that, that that would be part of the consideration. Yeah. So if you had to do, not holding you liable for this, but if you had to do three right now, the final three, is it Ludwig? Are you with me or are you subbing yeah. in power for one of those guys? No, no, I, I would be with you for now. But again, I'd be pretty careful to to get too locked into anything. The other name that I would not really be considering, but is at least on the back burner, would be Thomas Dietrich, who I just have so much respect for his talent that if he showed something crazy over the next couple of weeks, I'd give him a look because I, I think he projects like an elite golfer, but he has not shown enough to be in the conversation right now. What if Sergio wins Lip Bedminster? I it's mean, a, it's a comfy pairing with Rom, and and he is still a really accurate driver. He's not on my he's not on my uh, list uh, as of now, and I he I don't think really there's anything he could do even winning Lip Bedminster, but I I think it's interesting that Rom. Rom and him have something. They do. I, I don't think he's earned it, but they have something. And I was just, I'm, I'm curious if they, if they've already read inked him because they probably have, and maybe he, he should be. But Rom and Sergio, like I was at Whistling Straits, like that was the only pairing that struck fear into the U.S. last time. The only one. Well, I would be, again, we don't have perfect information. Team Europe knows what they're going to do with the course and how they're going to start to pair guys. So if that makes sense, I'm not afraid to to roll Sergio out there. If that gives me the best chance to win, I'd take him. Like, I don't yeah. care about the live thing at all. And the bottom of this team is pretty weak. So you could easily sell me on some of the pressure getting to some of these guys versus Sergio getting out there and playing well. I don't think that's crazy at all. I think that's a very reasonable point to bring up. Are you, I've heard Patty. I'm not there. I've I'm not heard, there either. I'm not there on Patty. I'd rather have Sergio than Patty. I'd rather have Stenson than Patty. If we're um, going to talk about Padre, let's not talk about Champions Tour results. Because yeah. I think, as anyone can see, like you see what Phil did on the Champions Tour, and then he would come out and miss a bunch of cuts. Like 
we always talk about how thin the margins are. They're not that thin. They're really not. So especially between the PGA Tour and the Champions Tour, that's not a thin margin. Um. All right. Major season's done. You have any closing thoughts? Any capstones for this golf season before we get out of here? We'll we'll do something again in the fall or winter, but any closing no. thoughts before we uh, lead off into to 3M week and the home stretch? Not of- really. I think the one thought that I kept having throughout this week is like major championships are just so cool. Like yeah. the, the feeling of going to bed Wednesday night and like thinking about how's the course going to play and which golfers are going to be in contention. Like what do other people think about these golfers? I think golf is the coolest sport to predict and it's just so fun. The puzzle every time and, and like seeing other people's opinions and then like listening to some DFS people. Like it's, I, I'm glad that they're only four times a year because I don't want to do this whole like, Oh, the players championships, a major now. Like, no, it's the four majors, but they're really fun to celebrate. And even if it's not like the most popular winner in Brian Harmon, they're such fun weeks. So I, I hope people enjoyed it and learned something about how they're going to approach next year's open championship from this one. So yeah, I don't know. There's really, it's not a unique take here, but major championship golf is really special. And a lot of the other golf isn't. If you just last question, if you just had to give me one name that who, who wins the 2024 masters. Oh, I can ask me that. They're gonna ask me at 3M open. Uh, <laughs> 2024 Masters. I think you kind of have to go Scheffler, but I'll I'll go with Scheffler. Who who are you taking? I'll go Scheffler and then uh we'll do Rory at Valhalla, because why not? <laughs> Hartman broke too many times. Yeah, I know. Um, all right. Anything? Uh, do you have a newsletter coming out? Anything on the fried egg this week before we get out of here? I'm sh- there'll be something in the fried egg newsletter. I've moved to a full write it whenever I want to put something out model. And I think that works a lot better. So I don't know when the next one will come out whenever I have some creative <laughs> inspiration. So I, I definitely am going to write something about the tour championship and then some NFL futures, I think. So that'll that'll probably come out over the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Joseph Amanya, thank you as always, my friend. Um, We will do it again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Andy. All right. That is it for the podcast. Special thanks to rickrungood.com. Special thanks to Joseph Amanya. We will be back next week, breaking down the Wyndham Championship. Until then, best of luck with your bets this week, and we will see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream between the viaducts of your dream Where my world steel rims crack And the dead center back road stop Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off.
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.